What's going on, everybody? It is Triple Crown 24 back today of a new episode of the Sports Card Psychology Podcast, where we go inside the mind of the hobby. Thank you so much for joining me today for a new episode. Moving into this new bi-weekly format, I hope that you are enjoying it. I know that last episode's response was pretty positive, uh, so I do appreciate you guys checking that out. Today, we're going to talk about rarity, and this is a, a hot-button topic. This will get some people fired up, I'm sure, listening to this. But I hear this word thrown around a lot, and it's one of those terms that is extremely subjective. What is rare to one person may be common to another. So today, I wanted to take a moment to look at the bigger picture of things and figure out how do we define rarity or what are the factors that go into each of us individually defining rarity? I have a few examples of some cards that I own and then some cards that I do not own that I wanted to show you today and talk about how they may be perceived as rare and how at the same time they may be perceived as not rare. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get into it. I would love to hear what you think the definition of rare is or what it means to you in the comments down below if you are listening on YouTube or if you want to message me privately, but always love to continue the discussion with you. First card up today, this one is one of my own. It is a 2010 Upper Deck Exquisite Collection Diamond Club Signatures of Derek Jeter. It is in a VGS 8.5 holder. It's an on-card autograph numbered to 130. Is this card rare? Let me tell you why you could argue it is. Exquisite is one of those products that has carried a legacy that has been positive over the last couple of decades. There are some pretty expensive cards, particularly on the basketball side with the LeBron RPAs, some Jordan cards that are in there, various logo men on the basketball side. Football has some pretty decent cards as well, as does baseball. Uh, but for me, typically when I think of exquisite, I, I tend to gravitate towards the basketball release. But this is from the final year of exquisite baseball. And it's an autograph of a player who it's not easy to pull his autograph. I would say that a lot of the Jeter autographs that you'll see in products today are definitely shorter printed than most. Uh, and they do carry a value to them just because there is such a high demand. We'll get into demand in a little bit. But is it difficult to find a Derek Jeter autograph? No. Right now, if you wanted to go on eBay and you search for Derek Jeter autographs, you could find hundreds and hundreds of different options. Even if you wanted only on-card autographs with him in a Yankees uniform, I don't know whatever uniform he would be in, but uh, so be it. But if you wanted to look for all of those, you could definitely find them. It's not difficult to find an on-card licensed Derek Jeter certified autograph out there. What might make this rare to some is that it is from a product that has such a positive reputation to it, like exquisite collection. It's along the same lines of something like National Treasures or Immaculate in today's day and age where everything in the product is numbered. A lot of these cards in exquisite may be low numbered uh, and they're highly desirable. They're highly collectible as time has gone on. They're not as prevalent as well, not being in circulation. A lot of these cards 
were pulled out of packs back in 2010, tw uh, 11, 12. But as time goes on, there are fewer and fewer sealed boxes out there. And most of the ones that are out in circulation have been put into collections where really, unless there's a major life event that it comes up, those cards do not get put back out for sale. They are in collections oftentimes of people who don't interact with the hobby online. Uh, they're in private collections or just stored away somewhere, kind of lost and, and out of out of sight, out of mind, kind of. So keeping that in mind, uh, a card like this, yes, you could argue it's rare. Why is it not rare? Well, it's for some of the reasons I just mentioned. It's not difficult to find an on-card Derek Jeter autograph. That doesn't mean it's cheap. It's difficult to find a Jeter autograph uh, for under $200, I would say. But to actually find one, no, not that much. It just happens to be that there is a lot of demand behind Jeter's cards, and therefore a card of his from this set might be perceived as more rare because there are more people who are actively going after Jeter's cards and people who would ultimately be the cards, if you want to call it final destination, where it's not going to be put back out there for sale, whereas if it's a hot young player that people are just trying to cash in on, you may see more of their cards put out for sale and therefore they are not as difficult to find or you may call them not as rare. So that's the first example. Why don't we go ahead and move over to the next one? And the next card that I'm going to show you, by the way, I apologize if you're watching on YouTube for no camera today. Uh, my webcam for some reason is picking up my background and it doesn't present very well. All right, here's the next card. and This one is also mine. It's a 2021 Panini Elements, Patrick Mahomes II. This is the Lithium Parallel, number to three. It is in a SGC 8.5 holder. Uh, just happens to be coincidence. The first two cards we showed off today were 8.5s. This one, why would it be considered rare? Well, it's numbered to only three. And... Being that there are only three of this card known to exist, you would argue that that is pretty rare. And to a lot of people, you would be spot on. Uh, if you want to own this specific card, I have one of them. There are two others out there. Who knows where they're at? Are they in circulation, meaning they've been pulled out of packs and could potentially be for sale one day? Who knows? Why is this not rare? Well, being out of three doesn't feel as special as maybe it used to, especially with all of the different configurations of products now where every single rookie or every single veteran player has dozens upon dozens of one-of-ones, sometimes even within the same product, like a, a product like National Treasures that has all of these different subsets of autographs and patch cards and the diamond cards. Being numbered to three, there are a lot of different low numbered cards especially to 25 or less being out of 25 is low numbered and only having 25 of something in existence would make it rare but how much do those cards differentiate themselves are they from the player's rookie year do they happen to have a really cool patch that might be where we make those distinguish uh or distinguish i'm trying to think of the right word here it's escaping me that's where we may be able to distinguish certain cards as rare. That's the best way that I can put it. Uh, but for this card itself, how coveted is a product like Elements? Well, it's 
more of a lower end release. If you look at the box prices, I say lower end and it's still several hundred dollars a box. It's low end doesn't mean what it used to five years ago, unfortunately, uh, for those who enjoy ripping wax. But hey, uh, that's that's a topic for a different day. Regardless, though, in relative terms in 2022, this card comes from a lower end set. If you were to ask a Mahomes collector, hey, you have a really great collection, but do you have the 2021 Elements Lithium Parallel? It's probably not a card that would come up in conversation nor one that you would think to ask about. If you were to build a Patrick Mahomes collection, what are some of the key cards? Well, you probably go to his rookie year, look at the prism and the optic stuff. You probably look at the National Treasures True RPA or perhaps some of those more sought-after brands in today's day and age like Select or Immaculate Collection or Flawless. Those are the more, I don't want to say well-respected because yeah, there are people who enjoy all sorts of types of products, but they're definitely more popular uh, in terms of their mainstream hobby appeal. So that kind of leaves this one up in the air. Is it rare? Is it not rare? Well, in terms of how many were actually made, yes, there's only three of them out there. But do people really care about a lithium parallel number to three? And I'm saying this as my own card here. I'm, I'm dissing my own card. It's a cool piece for sure. And I've what I like about this card is that the price point that I have it at isn't unreasonable for a Patrick Mahomes licensed card numbered to three, especially if you were to compare it to one of those aforementioned brands like National Treasures or Optic or Flawless or Prism, any of those. Those would command a much more significant price tag. So that is example number two. Why don't we move into the third example now? These next two will not be my card. I wish they were <laughs> figures. I have the ones that are lower end. Uh, there's no secret as to whose card this is, or at least who is consigning this card based on the picture here. But this is a Tom Brady card currently up for auction. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. Any of the Brady fans out there, this is likely their holy grail. It is the 2000 playoff contenders rookie ticket auto of Tom Brady. It is in a BGS nine with a 10 autograph grade holder. All right. What makes this one rare? One of the interesting things about Tom Brady is that he was a six round pick. Now he certainly has more rookie cards out there than your quarterbacks who came before him. Even the guys who came not too long before him, like a Troy Aikman within that window of the late nineties into the early two thousands, you see a lot of brands start to emerge beyond just the basic set that a company like Tops or uh, Fleer, Donruss, any, any company like that would upper deck would put out uh, at the time, say in your late 80s, early 90s period, as we exit the junk wax era and move into uh, the late 90s, mid 2000s era. One of those brands that came out was Contenders and with pack-pulled autographs still being a relatively new phenomena, it certainly wasn't as commonplace as it is today. Or uh, there's the, the rookies today, if, if you have shown any ounce of potential to maybe make an NFL roster, you probably have a 1,000 autograph cards out there at least. 
Whereas Brady being that six round pick, he doesn't really have too many autographs out there. Again, could you go out there right now and buy a Tom Brady rookie autograph? Yes. It's in the same realm as the Jeter autograph. They have become much more expensive and what he charges for his signature now does make them rarer than the Jeter in terms of the quantity that are out there. But you could go buy a Tom Brady autograph, much less a rookie autograph right now. If you wanted to, there's not as many out there as a Jeter and the demand is arguably just as high, maybe higher. I think that's up for debate, but it is a very high demand for a Tom Brady autograph, especially a rookie autograph. And a brand like Contenders that, unlike something like Elements, Contenders is a brand that has longevity to it. I believe that it's coming up on 25 years old now. It's held steady even with Panini taking over uh, the intellectual property to that brand. It used to belong to Playoff and then moved into Panini Playoff Contenders. Now it's just Panini Contenders. So it's worn many different hats over the years. Yet the concept of it has relatively remained unchanged, despite maybe some minor changes in the format and some differences in the parallels that are out there as well. But overall, Contenders, because it is such a sought-after brand and one that has that longevity, these cards are perceived as more rare. And part of that, too, is because people, if you have a Contenders rookie autograph collection, this is likely the holy grail of your collection. It also has to do with what is out there as well. For example, I gave you Patrick Mahomes in the last card that I showed off who has a contender's autograph, but he also has cards in Prism, Optic, National Treasures, brands that did not exist for Tom Brady. So contenders, for the most part, is the only game in town in terms of those really coveted autographs, or at least in my opinion, uh, the ones that are popular in today's landscape as well. What adds to this is the grade of the card. It is a nine. And a lot of the Brady autographs, he was a six-round pick. Uh, Had a pretty solid career at Michigan, but when you're a six-round pick, people didn't automatically send this in to grade because (laughs) this guy had any ounce of potential. Like now you see anybody would... Let's send in a Kellen Mond or a Davis Mills. Anybody who's maybe been speculated on even the slightest, the cards are immediately sleeved up so that there is minimal chance that they can be damaged after they get out of the pack. If, if they're damaged in the pack or being put into the pack, well, it's really beyond our control. That's at the manufacturing side. But there is very little opportunity for a lot of those cards to become damaged because people are much more aware than they were 20 years ago when the Brady card uh, was coming out because this wasn't an expensive card. That's just the bottom line. Uh, But as time went on, it became more and more desirable. And because people didn't take care of them as well back then too, you see higher grades of this card more difficult to find and thus they command a premium. The same thing could be applied to, if we would go to a non-sports example, the Charizard first edition foil one of your holy grail pokemon cards out there why the tens command such a premium is because there just isn't as many that have been kept in good shape they they were trading cards that were meant for a trading card game and oftentimes were treated as toys by children who threw them around and 
did whatever with them. And that's why there are so many that are damaged and <laughs> don't have the same high grade as a 10 would. And, and therefore to get a uh, gem mint version of the card, there just aren't as many out there that survived over the years where people took what we would now consider proper care of them. So that's something else that could be considered rare. Is that something that might be condition rare because it's difficult to find them. And then we move into something that is just overall considered rare. At least in my opinion, I would consider it rare. This one, I would love for this to be my card. It is not. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture here. This is the actual listing. It is a 1928 Harrington's Ice Cream Baber, if you see it here, in an SGC4 holder. I know I'm using an SGC slab here, but I'm going to give you the PSA data on this. This is a 60-card set, and if you look at all of the cards in the set, how many of them have been graded by PSA? What is the total population for this particular set? Any guesses without looking it up? Well, if you guessed 292, you would be correct. The total population for all 60 cards is 292. For this specific Babe Ruth, there are 44 of them that have been graded by PSA. One thing to keep in mind with this is that that is the maximum number that could possibly be out there that have been graded by PSA. How many of those were cracked out and resubmitted or someone did something to them? With a card that is this valuable where the difference between a one and a two, a two and a three, a three and a four could mean upwards of $1,000 or more. There's a high likelihood that some of these have been cracked out, meaning that the population, the true population of this is probably actually less uh, overall. The 292 cards are for Babe Ruth, specifically of the 44 out there. And there are different ice cream cards from this period of time uh, based on which company was the one manufacturing them. If they're a smaller, more regional company, there's going to be fewer of them out there and some that are alleged to be out there. This is something I learned from Dave Bluejack at 66, by the way. Uh, he did a fantastic video talking about uh, some of these ice cream cards a while back. Highly would recommend checking it out on YouTube. Again, his channel is Bluejack at 66, and he could definitely speak on it with more knowledge and more eloquently than I can. Uh, so if you want more information about this specific card because it interests you or this specific set, I would highly recommend, again, checking out his content. But as for the sake of this video, uh, these cards, being that there is only 44 of them out there graded by PSA, that would mean that there aren't that many of them out there to begin with, which does make them rare. I don't see too many of these cards that shows. Uh, they're difficult to find in good condition. Keep in mind, these are ice cream cards. And a lot of these food and beverage issue cards, think now if you were opening up something uh, that had some kind of card on the wrapper, probably would just toss it aside or would people even think twice? Well, back then it was even less of a, uh, it was, or excuse me, even more of a foregone conclusion that you would just throw something like that out. You know, why, why would you keep this old candy wrapper or uh, something that was kept in a pack of hot dogs or something that was kept with ice cream? Would it make much sense? But there were these that survived and almost a hundred years now they've survived, which 
is improbable that they would have. And to find them in really good shape as well makes them even more rare when you get into those higher grades. If, if we go to the Babe Ruth example, the population total is 44. There is one PSA 6. That is the highest graded example. There are two fives, one five and a half, and then there are nine fours with one four and a half. So this card here, there are only five total uh, Babe Roofs. I know this is SGC, but if it was a PSA 4, there would only be five that are a nicer example than this one, which would make it what I like to call condition rare. So there is a supply rarity where there's just limited numbers of these cards out there. There is a condition rarity where it may be difficult to find a card in that condition. And then there's the combination of bulb, which is what I think really makes something truly rare is to be in that good shape and to have a lower quality produced. However, what do you define as rare and how does that factor into it? Why are any of these cards rare? I've danced around the subject a little bit and mentioned it briefly in the Mahomes example that I gave, but the actual demand of the card is what makes it rare. In addition to the factors that I gave you above. And part of it is because with rarity, there comes in FOMO. We had a whole episode on FOMO, one of the first episodes of the podcast. I did it with Eric, those back pages, if you want to give it a listen. Uh, but it's the fear of missing out. And when you have something rare, like, like say this ice cream card, the chance that you may see another one pop up are much lower than perhaps another card where they are more readily available. You can definitely find another Tom Brady contender's autograph. They will come back up. They won't be cheap, but there will be more. You can find another Derek Jeter on-card autograph instantly, probably around the same price range. Could you find another exquisite collection? At this moment, yeah, there are more of them listed out there, but there's no guarantee you would get it at that price. And as some of them kind of dry up and, and move into collections, you, you typically see fewer and fewer of those cards pop up. Uh, but as I mentioned, there are, there are other Derek Jeter autographs out there. So unless you're specifically building that set or specifically looking for that card, then you have more options out there. Whereas with some of these older cards, especially your pre-war cards, there aren't a bunch of parallels out there. There aren't as many sets or options. There are a lot of cards that may be issued regionally. And then for factors that are beyond your control, they just might not be out there, whether it was the fact that they're food issue cards that were, for the most part, probably most of them got tossed aside with, with the rest of the packaging once the product was actually consumed. Uh, but those who collect these cards and have that wealth of knowledge behind them do put a higher value on them. They know how difficult it is to obtain some of these cards, and therefore it adds to the rarity. If I were to show you uh, the Patrick Mahomes card again, and for example, number to three, and I showed you some random NFL player, pick your favorite obscure NFL player who retired five years ago and doesn't really have too much hobby relevance, would that card be considered rare? Well, Technically, if you want to look at just how many were produced and it was the lithium parallel number to three, then yeah, it would be rare because there's only three of them out there. But if it was some player that nobody 
really cared about, would it be considered a rare, very sought after card? Would it perhaps it could be considered a rare card, but would it be considered sought after? And in that case, if it isn't sought after, how rare really is it? Uh, you take a look at the products today where certain cards are numbered to 99. Something that's numbered to 99 today means something a lot different than a card that might be numbered to 99 or 100 back in the 90s, over 20 years ago now. A lot of those cards, again, when grading wasn't as prevalent, they weren't kept in as nice of condition. And you have to also take into consideration the pull rates on some of these cards. Card that this card isn't necessarily rare. In fact, there are 10,000 of them out there. But if you look at, for example, the 1992 Elite cards, uh, you're at the end of the junk wax era there. In order to pull one of those cards, you're going to have to open a lot of wax in order to get to them. So yes, there are 10,000 of them out there, but there is just so much wax that the pull rates on them or your insertion ratios are such an incredible long shot that you would have a better chance of pulling, say, a true Prism Gold if you were to open one of the newer Prism releases for any sport. Pick your sport. It doesn't matter which one. You would probably have a better chance to pull one of those true Golds uh, than you would an Elite Series opening the same number of packs. Now, Prism is a lot more expensive than a lot of those packs as well, but it would, it would be interesting to see how much you would have to spend in order to to get each one. I would be curious to do that, but that would be a discussion for a different day. So that's another thing to, to keep in mind. And also going back to the card you see on screen here, cards that are region locked or they're only issued in a certain way may not seem like such a big deal. With tops, you've seen the UK edition, for example, or the Japan edition we saw last year as well. These international editions of these cards that in pre-war times, the distribution of these cards would have been significantly different compared to modern times and, and their ability to travel. Uh, today in the age of the internet with how easy it is to ship out a card, it might be easier for those cards to break out of the little bubble that they're in and break those region locks. Whereas back in the day, Definitely not as easy for that to do. It, it could happen. Some of these regional issue cards could end up, could have ended up somewhere else uh, outside of where they were manufactured, but it was definitely a lot less likely, especially with how, uh, <laughs> how prevalent distribution models are today, uh, especially within the United States. So all of these factors play into rarity, but it is us, the consumers and the collectors out there who really determine what is rare and what is not. And a lot of it just has to do with how many of us are interested in a particular card. For me, I'd buy any card at the right price. That price might be extremely low for that card, but hey, I'd be interested in it. Uh, but really that rarity boils down to how many of, of these cards are out there? How many of them are in good shape? And in how many of them are out there in a specific condition, I should say, uh, that you're looking for? How many gem mint examples are there out there? How many uh, excellent examples are there out there? How many very good examples are there out there? And then how much demand is out there for those cards at the same time? And if you combine all three of those factors together, 
It allows us to really get a good scope of what we consider rare. Of course, that is just my opinion, but I would love to hear what yours is in the comments down below. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I feel like I was a little bit all over the place uh, listening to myself talk here, but hey, that's all right. Uh, hopefully you followed along and you enjoyed it today. So thank you so much for listening. I will see you again with a new episode next Tuesday. Take care, stay safe, be kind.